from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 266, Saturday Morning Adventures. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. Uh, yeah, uh, we're I'm back for another comic review. Uh, I plan on having an episode with, uh, with some of the guys very soon. Um, just, I kept delaying it and delaying it, and uh, no fault of theirs, uh, completely fault of mine, but uh, should be able to get together with them sometime soon, and then probably get that episode out even before the end of this month hopefully so but i wanted to get something out because it has been some time uh you for patreon members you'll probably notice that an episode just came out before this one uh and that was a long time coming also so stay tuned for more patreon episodes i'm recording this on a tuesday night uh probably will get this out this coming weekend um and because i want to get the patreon episode out first and then Probably a day or two after that, this episode will come out. Uh, And I plan on recording uh, for Patreon members. I know you guys have been waiting for a while for some episodes, so I'll probably start recording another one uh, either tomorrow night or the night after or something like that. Uh, But wanted to do uh, this episode because I had mentioned in an earlier episode that I wanted to do a full review of the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Saturday Morning Adventures, uh, comic number one. Uh, number two has already come out. I have not read it yet. I only reason I have not read it yet is because I wanted to review this one first on an episode before I read the next issue. Uh, I just didn't want to, like, know what happened next. Uh, I will say that I enjoyed this issue immensely uh this probably won't be a very long episode uh because i'll go through the comic and give you some updates of things i'm planning to do and that'll be pretty much it uh but like i said wanted to get an episode out and i know a lot of people really enjoyed this issue 
like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was everything I could hope for a G.I. Joe issue to be based on the cartoon uh, and probably even more. Like, I, I just think they did a phenomenal job with this. I'll get into great detail. I'm sure I'll be gushing about it the entire episode. Uh, if you So if you didn't like this issue, probably not the episode for you. But uh, Or maybe you'll find out things to like about it. But uh, most people really that I saw really loved this issue. Uh, anyone that was fans of the cartoon. Now, if you weren't a fan of the cartoon, yeah, you're not going to like this issue. But if you were a fan of the G.I. Joe cartoon in the 80s, this nails it perfectly uh, in so many different ways. And, and we'll get into all that as we're going through the issue. But, um, yeah, I know we've bashed a lot of the things in recent times that IDW has done when it comes to G.I. Joe. I know they're losing the license and everything else, and we've talked about that before. Um, but when they get something right, I want to acknowledge that. And they, when they first got the G.I. Joe property, they did a lot of things right. Like, they you know they launched G.I. Joe Origins, which was really well done, um, especially at the beginning of that, where it like, highlighted specific Joe characters um, and kind of like their origins, where they came from, stories about them. Uh, then, you know, they had the main G.I. Joe series that was phenomenal. And then you had the Cobra series, which is probably some of the best G.I. Joe writing and storytelling that I have ever read. So really loved what they were doing there for a while. Uh, they kept going and kept doing really great stuff. You know, there might be a dud issue here or there. That's going to happen with any type of uh, ongoing series. But overall, they were doing a fantastic job. And then things started going off the rails. And I think it was just, I'm sure it was due to sales dipping. They didn't really know what to do to bring the audience back in. Um, so they tried different things. They just weren't successful. Um, then they tried, you know, they tried crossing over with the other properties. And that didn't work so well either, uh, both because of... Uh, I'll just say it because of some of the creative teams that they had at the time were not popular with fans and also nothing felt like it was in place for that type of crossover to occur. Like if you want to cross over GI Joe and transformers and mask and all these types of things, that's all well and good, but you have to kind of stab, uh, start establishing that early or give a reason as to why, it's not happening until later. So, you know, you could have it where the timelines are different. So Joe comes in later, uh, to the transformers, like transformers didn't know the existence of GI Joe or GI Joe didn't know the existence of transformers. Problem is you already had transformers on planet earth doing big battles, major things happened and no sign of GI Joe you also established G.I. Joe as being around for a little while. So like it, it, it just didn't make sense. Like you can, you can have those two things happen. Uh, those two properties interact with each other either by establishing it from right from the beginning that they're both here now. And then they start having these interactions like maybe, you know, Joe would have been involved in with, the whole all hail Megatron storyline or something like that, but that wasn't established or you establish them being at different timelines. And one of the timelines has caught up to the other one. That would have been fine too. Um, they said they didn't do that. Um, then they established other properties and everything else. And like I said, then they tried to have them all cross over and it just 
turned into a big mess. So uh, that was kind of the swan song for Joe when it came to that time as far as the IDW universe. Uh, Transformers was still able to kind of hobble along they, and then start having some success again. And then it seemed like the sales of that started to dip. And uh, then they did a new relaunch, a, a complete new reboot of the Transformers line. And it's been less than stellar. Um, I am woefully behind on what they're doing right now. I will freely admit that. But the reason I'm behind on it is because I have not been enjoying reading it. It's been a chore to read read the current Transformers run. I don't know if it's gotten better as time has gone on. But I am still around like issue 10 or 11 of the new series and it's been a struggle for me to pick up another issue so that's a sign there um idw tried doing some other things with joe doing a little mini series um like they did uh i think la morta or something it was something along those lines that was horrible it was a three issue mini series the art was not that art is subjective, but at the same time, in my opinion, I thought the art was horrible. The story storyline was atrocious. Um, they tried doing the G.I. Joe versus Transformers that was done by Tom Scioli. I know there's fans out there of it. I am not one of them. Uh, I did not enjoy the artwork. Um, I think Scioli does a good job when it... So there's two things when it came to the artwork there. I think Scioli does a good job when it is uh, when he's drawing robots. So when he was drawing the Transformers characters, I think he did a pretty good job. His, when he was drawing humans, it didn't look that great. Um, and again, it's subjective. So in my eyes, it didn't look that great. But um, he had he had like a Kirby look to his stuff, but. Kirby, I think, has done better drawn humans, in my opinion. Um, and then it looked like, I could be wrong, I, I'd have to look at the credits, but it looked like he was coloring in his own work and there was really no, it didn't look like there was any inking involved. So there was no solid lines, it was just like there was just outlines that were kind of done in color. I just wasn't a fan of that. It was very pastel-y looking, it just didn't work for me. His artwork could have potentially looked great if he had someone else inking his stuff and someone else coloring his stuff. Um, that's not what he wanted. Uh, and, and again, I could be wrong. Maybe he didn't do it all himself, but I'm almost positive that he did do it all himself. If he didn't, I think they should have went with someone else than who they went with. Again, just my opinion. But that didn't work for me. That type of crossover and everything else didn't work for me. They tried doing Rob Liefeld with the Snake Eyes miniseries. I didn't care for it. I know Chuck liked it at the beginning. I don't think he ended up liking it by the end of it. Um, or didn't feel it was as strong of a story. I didn't care for it at all. Um, from issue one. Like from day one of reading it. I was like, And I went into it wanting to like it. Like I've always said in... I, I go into things that I think I should like and want to like it. Um, it just didn't like it just, there was too many inconsistencies and plot holes and everything else that just didn't make sense. So, um, and I'm all in favor of like, Hey, I'm not going to explain everything to you. Late later issues will kind of explain certain things. It wasn't even that it wasn't even like, Oh, okay. You're filling in the gaps. 
now in issue three that I thought were gaps in issue one. It wasn't anything like that. So, so yeah, it just had been constantly a train wreck. Uh, when it comes to a real American hero, um, you know, I've heard so many times that Larry Hama um, still loves doing Joe. It it just never felt like it when he was when I'm reading it because it just felt like he was rehashing the same story. Now that also could be because he has admittedly said that he doesn't know where the story is going. He doesn't plan out ahead where a story is going to, how it's going to end or where it's going to end. He just kind of lets the characters take him where he's going to go. From again, not so much not saying I'm an expert at all, but from my point of view of when I'm writing something, I need to know where it's going. Yes, the characters do guide me where they want to go, um, but you still have to have a plan of where you're where you're hoping to be in the end. Um, and I think that's a little bit of why we kept getting and keep getting rehashes of of a story over and over and over again. Now, when he started doing special missions issues and the untold tales issues, and stuff, those were very good because it was like a focused story that focused on the characters and stuff like that. Those very focused small stories, those were excellent. And I would love to see more of those. So now granted, we're not going to now, but, um, but yeah, so I don't, so there's been a lot of misses in my opinion when it comes to G.I. Joe in recent years so like I said I wanted to shine a light on something that I think was done exceptionally well and like I said if you were a fan of the cartoon and you read this comic I would be shocked absolutely shocked to find out you didn't like it like if you didn't like this comic but you love the, the original cartoon you either A, need to go back to the original cartoon and maybe you don't like it anymore <laughs> or B, I don't know what you were wanting uh, because like I said, this nailed it every step of the way. I'm really shocked also that they didn't try doing this, something like this earlier than, than now. Um, so, because I think, I, I know we had mentioned many times on the show like, oh man, it would be great if they did a series based on the cartoon like uh you know pick up with uh at world's end or you know one of the storylines and just kind of keep telling a story um i think that would have been fantastic so that's what they kind of did here they did a mini series that's very much in the vein of something you would have seen in the cartoon it's ridiculous it's over the top but it works it works for the medium of what they're telling um so you can tell right from the cover. So I'm looking at cover A and right from the cover, you have Cobra Commander standing there holding Aladdin's lamp and there's smoke coming out of it. And then you have all the Joes standing in front of him underneath him. Uh, so he becomes this like looming threat over them. Now, the first thing I will say when it comes to the artwork in this issue, it is spot on. So you had Dan uh, Schernig who I have mentioned many times has done the Ghostbusters comics. He, I love his art. I absolutely adore his work on Ghostbusters. And he nailed the art on this. Like, it is spot on for what the cartoon looked like. Like, you could, looking at this, you would almost think that they took, 
cells from an existing cartoon and put it in here. That's how good of a job he did to make this look like the actual cartoon. And then uh, it's written by Eric Burnham, and I'm going to totally praise him throughout this issue as we go into the story and everything. Colorist was Luis Antonio Delgado. Luis, uh, I might be showing some favoritism here, but Luis is also the colorist on my Stealth Hammer issue number two. I had Chris Sotomayor for a few ish- for a few pages. Um, he couldn't finish it up. I had to find another colorist. I reached out to Lewis uh, a while back, and he, at the time he wasn't available. Um, so I reached out to him again and said, hey, are you, would you be available now? And he said yes. He gave me his timetable and everything else. And Lewis finished doing Stealth Hammer number two. Uh, so I, when I saw that he did the, art, the coloring work on this issue, oh, my God, it was just so exciting for me because I'm a huge fan of this issue now and obviously I have a personal connection now to the colorist with him having done the coloring work on my issue so uh, and he's a super nice guy like I I never had the chance to talk with him but him and I emailed back and forth quite a bit obviously while he was working on my stuff and he is super polite super nice very prompt uh, communicates really well, lets me know where things are for him, what he's working on. Um, it, it was a great experience with him. Like, he was just fantastic to work with. Um, so I was super excited to see him on here. Uh, we have letter Neil uh, U- uh, Uyataki, I believe. is I, I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, group editor was Tom Waltz. Uh, editor was Megan Brown and research specialist is Diana Davis and anyone in the joke community knows Diana Davis Uh, she is a huge G.I. Joe fan Uh, IDW started using her to uh, as like a reference uh, person so that's why they said research specialist she's the one that will let them know basically did you get it right for the fans like did you um, remember certain characters are alive or dead uh, this character was wearing this type of uh, outfit, you know, during, you know, she she basically will correct them on, like, hey, you've got the wrong outfit for that character during that time period. Um, so that type of stuff. And, and I know she does a bunch of other things, too. I'm just giving a couple examples of things that she did for them. So it was very cool to see somebody who is a Joe fan become part of the process. Like, that's what you want. You want someone that can... Uh, head off those inconsistencies and incorrections. Uh, is that a word? Incorrections a word? I don't know. I just, it is now. Um, but making sure everything's accurate for everybody. So, um, so I was glad to see that as well. Um, but yeah, like the art, the coloring work, spot on for the cartoon. Like I said, you would swear that this came from an actual animation cell. Like if you took if anyone has this, I had, I still have this. I believe I still have this in my collection. But there was a um, a X Men cartoon that came out in the eighties uh, that was called uh, Pride of the X Men, and it was Kitty Pride joining the X Men. Uh, it had Australian uh, Wolverine. If you ever heard that term before, when it comes to Wolverine, there was a uh, Wolverine had an Australian accent basically in this cartoon. So um, what they did though was they did like a magazine style comic version of that exact story and what they did was they took 
still animation cells from the cartoon. So they didn't redraw it or anything like that. They just took animation cells, put it into this magazine size comic, um, like graphic novel, because it, it was like a thicker thing, um, and just added word balloons, just, you know, right from the show, and put the word balloons in. That's what this looks like because it's done so well. Like, it looks actually better than taking animation cells, because there's obviously sometimes with the X-Men one, it would get kind of grainy uh, looking on certain pages and everything else, certain panels. Not the case here, because that's not what they did. This this cartoon... Uh, I call it a cartoon because that's what it feels like, but this was never an existing cartoon or an episode of the cartoon. Um, but it looks so much like that's what they took and did. Um, it just looks better because they didn't. They actually drew it and colored it and everything. So so we open up at Cobra Temple somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, um, and the shot we get is... Uh, pretty much that beach shot that we see in one of the intro scenes where it's like you have a, a pterodrome that, that you're kind of approaching but it's got a huge snake mountain behind it and everything uh, cobra head mountain behind it uh, so that looks really awesome uh, then you have you see a word balloon coming out that says at last this is it and cobra, uh, this is exactly what I was looking for and it's cobra commander he's holding up this egg looking uh, artistic piece and around him is uh, some of the Dreadnoughts Zartan uh, Destro and Baroness and Baroness uh, says of course that's something Cobra Commander would want uh, and Destro says it would seem that there's no accounting uh, for taste and uh, Zartan points out the fact that uh, you know we're glad to see that you're pleased because that wasn't the easiest thing for us to get. And uh, you have um, a Buzzer saying uh, you'd think for as ugly as it is that they would have paid us to take it, though. And uh, Cobra Commander says, ah, yes, very funny. And he pulls his gun out, and Buzzer's like, hey, I, was, I didn't mean anything by it. And, and uh, Ripper then's like... Yeah, your your taste is your taste and and stuff, which cracks me up because that's kind of been the thing I've been trying to, like I got a little personal laugh out of that because that's the thing I've been, I always try to do a good job myself with, but also champion for is like you like what you like, and, and if someone if someone doesn't like something, that's fine. They can like what they like. You like what you like. There's no reason to like butt heads about it. Uh, or get nasty with each other about it. You can dis- you know, you can have arguments and disputes and everything else. Like we've been over this so many times, but um, but yeah, let people enjoy what they enjoy. Um, and if you don't like it, that's fine. Move on with your life. Uh, so I I liked seeing that little statement in there. Like yeah, uh, your taste is your taste, and have it come from a dreadnought of all people, which are not the smartest people in the world. Uh, that says something. <laughs> Uh, that even they can realize that. So, um, Cobra Commander actually shoots the uh, the egg type thing that he had. Uh, Zartan's kind of annoyed by this because he's like, "You destroyed it, and we worked really hard to get that." And uh, Cobra Commander's like, "Don't worry, you will be well compensated." Uh, and he says, "This is just so I can get my true goal." And he pulls out the lamp, and Destro says, "The lamp of Aladdin," and 
uh, Cobra Commander says the same. And with this in my possession, uh, the world will be my be at my mercy. Which Aladdin's lamp is like the perfect GI Joe cartoon storyline. Like it's so ridiculous, so over the top to work with that it's awesome. Like we've gone over so many of the cartoons where just crazy stuff has happened and crazy situations. I mean, look at the whole creation of Serpentor, like pulling the DNA from all these different, um, leaders and, you know, dictators and everything else. Like that's, it's crazy. You got Cobra law. And so, you know, like there's just a lot of craziness that we have gone over, um, on the show, like the conch shell that allows them to control men. So a land's lamp is perfect for this. Um, now, if you had tried to put this in the regular IDW GI Joe or a real American hero would not work. Like it only works if you're doing it in a, the cartoon universe type storyline. So, uh, and just to let you know too, you do get, times of Cobra Commander with his long S's uh, and stuff in in the dialogue. So um, so I thought they you know nailed that and did that very well. So uh, so he rubs the lamp, genie comes out, the genie comes out and says, uh, you call upon my power three you can call upon my power three times. Um, what do you wish, O Master? And Cobra Commander says, I wish for ultimate power. And that's when the genie says, kind of points out what the rules are. So he says, "I cannot grant you power that I don't already uh, that I don't possess." So the genie doesn't have ultimate power, so he can't give ultimate power. He says, "I also can't uh, give dominion over the hearts of or minds of other people." So basically, he can't make people fall in love, and he can't uh, you know so they can't love him, but he also can't mind control them either. Uh, and he can't resurrect the dead. So uh, he's like, beyond that, you may ask anything. Typical Cobra Commander, instead of seeing what he can do, uh, he views these rules as the thing that's stopping him from accomplishing anything. So he says, this isn't fair. Typical Cobra Commander response in the cartoon. Uh, How am I supposed to conquer the world with so many accursed restrictions? Like... Again, he focuses on the negative. He focuses on the things he can't do, which was very typical Cobra Commander in, in the comics. Like it was, you if you told him one little thing that he couldn't do, it, it ruined everything. Like it, it's all, it's almost a statement for the times that we live in right now. Like I know so many people, customers and things like that, that it's just like one little thing goes wrong, and it's like you ruined everything for me. Like. I work in retail, uh, and you'll get, you would get customers that during the holidays that would just be like, because they couldn't get the one item that they wanted, or it would be delayed. They'd be like, you, you just ruined Christmas. I can't do anything. It's like, well, you, you could, you could do this or this. No, no, my whole holiday's ruined. Thanks to you. Like it's, it's that type of attitude that Cobra commanders, the ultimate Karen, <laughs> That's what you're dealing with here. So, um, yes, he would probably call on people's managers constantly. But uh, so then Destro chimes in because Destro is always the voice of reason in the cartoon. He's like, Commander, I believe I have an idea. So he whispers something to me. He's like, ha, yes, yes, perfect. And uh, 
he asks for a unit of battle android troopers, uh, but gigantic ones that would uh, be loyal just to him. So he, uh, the genie, grants his wish, and he creates five lo- uh, gigantic battle android troopers. They're just super huge. And uh, Cobra Commander says, I know just where to send them. So then we go over to the pit of G.I. Joe, so the main base that you saw in the cartoon. And you have Duke going, listen up, uh, we've got training exercises this Thursday, and they're mandatory. On the bright side, we'll be using tanks. And then you have Alpine and Bazooka, perfect to put them in here because they appeared in the cartoon so much. They were the comedy duo. Um, and they just nailed, like, Eric Burnham nailed the, these characters. Like, he nailed so many of these characters, but he, he definitely nailed these characters because you have Alpine going, tanks, huh? That sound like fun to you, Bazooka? And Bazooka goes, boom. <laughs> just perfect. Um, like, oh, so I, I, I can picture Bazooka or Robert, if you've heard Robert do Bazooka impersonations, it... it it nails it perfectly. Like I can hear the voices in my head. Uh, so then Duke points out that there was an, an art theft and normally something they wouldn't be taken care of, but Zartan may have been involved. And just as he's giving information, uh, there's an explosion and Duke wants to know what happened. Mainframe says, I, I think I figured it out, Duke. I'm just not sure I believe it. Uh, and they show on the big monitor there, uh, a, uh, the one of the gigantic battle troopers shooting at the pit, um, which this also was perfectly done based on the cartoon because we often talked about how somehow their monitors could always show stuff at angles that you're just like, do they just have drones and cameras flying everywhere that just can all of a sudden give them this stuff? Like this is a view from above of a band, that gigantic battle android trooper. Uh, shooting at the pit and you would think okay are they looking at it from a satellite are they looking at it from like a satellite would have been able to zoom in really close uh, from some you know from various like flying devices around like you know drones what have you it was just like I said I, I think that was a perfect use of the screens to show like yeah we've got that angle it's right here it's right now and everything so so then you get Alpine and Bazooka again, and Alpine says, is that a hundred foot tall bat? And Bazooka goes, big robot. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, so perfect. Um, the only thing I think they could have done a little bit better was uh, Alpine making some type of joke about it, and then Bazooka saying, big robot. Um, but it... The, Again, you hear the voices in your head. It's just so perfect. So uh, Duke then says, you know the saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, which, again, such a cliched line. You would totally have heard that in the cartoon. And then they all go, yo, Joe. And then, again, nailing the character perfectly, you have Roadblock. And he's like, if you can fly, get your butts in the sky. Let's go, let's go. So uh, the whole rhyming thing, perfect. Nailed it. Uh, so then we, we get, uh, in the sky, one of the sky strikers, uh, someone, I, it could be ACE, I assume, uh, they don't specifically point out who it is, just 
in this moment, but it says, look at the size of that thing, which is totally a Star Wars reference to A New Hope when they're attacking the, uh, the Death Star. That's, I believe it was Wedge that said it. And then I was like, cut the chatter, blah, blah, blah. So it could be a total coincidence that it's the same line, but it's too perfect of a line for the moment in this comic to not have pulled it right from Star Wars. So, um, and it's, it's line, I mean, it's word for word from that. So like, my guess is that it is an homage to the line from Star Wars because they're facing something that they weren't expecting to be that huge. Um, but again, it could be a coincidence. I don't think it is though. Um, so then you hear, uh, you look, I'm going to take this thing out. So I think that was actually, uh, ace. I don't know who it was that was doing the star Wars line. Uh, but you guys know what's going to be coming. You have ace flying a sky striker and we'll get there, but you know, what's coming. So they talk about doing evasive maneuvers, talk about shooting it and you know, how the blasts aren't, uh, you know, their, their laser blasts aren't even penetrating it and everything else. And, uh, he goes, those robots go down, uh, those robots go down easy. If you hit them, right. Hey, I have an idea. And, uh, Duke says, you know, I get nervous anytime you have an idea. And he's like, don't be nervous. Duke, trust me. And then Duke's like, now I'm really worried. Um, so what does Ace do? Ace crashes his sky striker into the leg of the bat, which does take it down. So it's not like he wasted doing that, but it's Ace crashing a sky striker. Um, and there'll be a joke about it a little bit later, but again, perfect. Like Ace crashing a sky striker, absolutely perfect. Uh, the bat comes falling down. Ace is parachuting down saying, I knew that would work. Uh, those bats only need one solid hit in the right place. Cobra commander, super ups, upset. He's, he says inconceivable. So again, don't know if it's a princess bride reference, but I'm going to say that it is. So that one probably is way more of a coincidence, but just, I, I appreciate it being in there. Um, he says, uh, Cobra commander says those are supposed to be indestructible. Uh, and Destro pointed out, like, they were hard-pressed to defeat it with conventional weapons. And he's like, perhaps, he's like, uh, you know, I should have had more than one unit enlarged, which, again, plays to the faults of Cobra Commander uh, in the cartoon. How he wouldn't think to, oh, enlarge all of the bats that I have. He would just think of a unit. Um, and he points out, like, Again, this plays into the faults of Cobra Commander. He points out, like, whose idea was it? Uh, who decided that five was a good number for a full unit? And Destro points out, he's like, uh, possibly the person who haggled on the price of them. So Destro was obviously willing to give him more unit, more uh, soldiers in a unit, but Cobra Commander didn't want to pay for them. So that's why there was only five. But yeah. Like anyone else, if you were to do this move, not anyone else probably wouldn't have done this move, but if anyone else was to do this move, you wouldn't say, give me, you know, make one unit of my bats enlarged. You would be like, make them all large. And then you would send them all to the Joe base to take it out. You wouldn't just send one. Like 
I get maybe testing it out or something like that, but test it out on your own stuff or, or whatever, like, but then send it all to the Joes. Um, again, showing the flaws of Cobra Commander. So the genie then comes around and the genie's manipulative because he doesn't want to have to be a slave to someone and their wishes. So he's trying to manipulate Cobra Commander. He's like, it would be easy to add more. Uh, a second wish is all it would take. Cobra Commander's like, yes. And then he's like, no. So there are moments when, and ju- this is just like the cartoon where there's moments where Cobra Commander's about to give in to something and then he realizes the error of that. And he he lashes out right away. So that did happen in the cartoon quite a bit. Um, so he points out, like, you're just trying to trick me to, to waste my wishes. So then Baroness points out uh, that, you know, there's no need to use uh, wishes hastily. Uh, there was a force field emitter that they were working on before. And Destro points out, oh, yes, you know, absolutely. There was a prototype. However, it was too large uh, for their uses and everything else. But now under the circumstances, it couldn't actually work out really well. And it'll protect the the, exist- the remaining bats that they have. Um, so he's like, yeah, let's go ahead and... Uh, Cobra Commander's like, let's go ahead and use them. Uh, so then you have Duke approaching sci-fi, which I thought was really cool because I know we got sci-fi in the cartoon later. Obviously it was later because he was a later wave, but I feel like it was like extremely rare that we saw him. Like we may have saw him in one or two episodes and never, I don't ever remember him having a prominent role. Um, maybe never a speaking role. I, I don't recall. Um, maybe anyone listening to this can let me know. Did, did sci-fi, number one, did sci-fi appear in the cartoon or am I remembering that wrong? And number two, did he actually ever speak? Um, I kind of start feeling like he appeared in the, the, uh, Deke, uh, cartoon version. They never appeared in the Sunbow one, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I can't picture his voice if he ever did speak. Um, but those later cartoons, I, it, I wasn't as much of a fan of as most people weren't. So it was very cool to see sci-fi here. Um, so Duke's like, uh, you know, basically asking him like, what do you come across? And he's like, I don't think that these bats were, uh, built large, uh, because there is microchips in here that are built bigger than anyone would have made them. So... Um, and he mentions Intech as being the one that, uh, made them. And that's another thing I'm, I didn't do my research to find out, like, was Intech a tech company in the G.I. Joe cartoon universe? Like, I could see that being the case and, and Burnham pulling from that. So, uh, that would be very clever if he did, if that was the case. But at least I just, I just don't remember. Um, so then, uh, he says, you know, I think that they actually in, like, built them normal and enlarged them. And, uh, or Duke, Duke asked, do you think that that's what happened? And sci-fi says it wouldn't be the weirdest thing Cobra cooked up, which is hilarious because that's true based on the cartoon stuff. Um, so then Alpine comes and says, uh, we need you in the big room because, uh, snakes is on the airwaves. And I love this here. So you have, 
Cobra Commander, of course, takes over all the televisions again, like he's been he's known to do. And he's like, governments of the world have never taken the threat of Cobra seriously enough. The mass device, the pyramid of darkness. So I love the fact that he explains he mentions things from past cartoons. So which the mass device and the pyramid of darkness are like the two big mini series uh from the cart from the cartoon, the original cartoon. So um so he points out like, hey, we've got these um large these enormous bats stationed at different locations and uh he calls them the mega bat and Ace is like, it'd be more impressive if, he hadn't, if uh, I hadn't sent one to the scrap heap. And Scarlet goes, and you had to destroy another Sky Striker to do it, I hear. So I love that line because it's just like, it draws the attention that Ace is known for crashing Sky Strikers because, especially using the word another Sky Striker. Like, it'd be one thing if she said, and I heard you had to destroy a Sky Striker to, in order to do it. Like, that would have just been a normal line. Okay, you had to use a plane to take it down. But the fact that she says you had to destroy another Sky Striker means, like, he's known for having history of destroying these things. Uh, so I just found that to be brilliant. Uh, and then you have Cobra Commander saying, uh, pointing out, like, that we have these at different locations. And, uh, you know, Ace is still not impressed. And then all of a sudden they show that one of the rattler cobra rattlers is attacking the bat the same way ace took it out and nothing happened this time it's completely unfaced so cobra commander points out we have these at paris tokyo washington dc and we want a billion dollars uh or else we'll just rain hellfire on everybody um so they're like crap what do we do and uh, Alpine points out they, they could have even more, you know, we got to figure out what the production is and everything else. Um, cause we could be swimming in these things at some point. And, uh, so mainframe points out that if we can get a hold of another one, he can use the receiver to triangulate the point of origin to help prevent that from happening. So then Duke points out like, okay, uh, he'll contact the USS flag awesome to reference that's in the Pacific to tell them about Tokyo Flint and a eight and a team are running training exercises with NATO forces in Brussels. So we'll get them to go over to Paris and then we'll take care of the mega bat heading our way, meaning Washington, DC. Uh, then we'll send Cobra back under their rock. And then you hear them say, yo, Joe, and next is three heads of the serpent. So, uh, I love the fact that now, you have your MacGuffin set up like they did so many times. And I love the fact that there's three different locations to go to, which happened quite often. A lot of times in the miniseries, there was always like multiple locations to go to usually three, three seems to be the magic number is definitely was a magic number for a lot of storytelling in that time period. Um, so I love that they set all that up and you have different locations as far as like, um, you know, you have out in the ocean, you have in Europe and then you have in the United States different, like different elements. So I, I think the only thing that could have been better, but there wouldn't have been targets is if you had like one attacking the Antarctic or something, you know, like, and then one out in the jungle somewhere, like different actual environment, one in the desert, you know, but that wouldn't have been, 
realistic. And I know I'm saying realistic with mega bats and everything else, but you know what I mean. Like, of course, he's going to threaten to attack major city locations. So, um, so I, I think these were these were great. Um, it's kind of funny when you think about it because it's horrible stuff's going on in the world. So this isn't funny at all. But you know, Russia's attacking the Ukraine. Timing wise, it would have been funny if one of the cities had been Moscow just because of what was happening. And then it's like, okay, well let the bat attack Moscow. <laughs> Go ahead. Cause you're doing bad things right now. Um, I do feel like, so not to go into a real world tangent, but I do feel bad for the people of Russia because they don't really know what's going on right now. Um, of course I feel horrible for the people in the Ukraine. Um, it's horrible. what's happening to them. I love the fact that they're fighting back. Um, I know they have the support of the world, most of the world behind them and everything else to, to stop Russia and everything else. So it's horrible. I, and I only bring it up because like I said, it would have been a very humorous, weird situation had one of the cities been Moscow in this comic instead of the ones that they picked. So, and I could have seen it being Moscow with this being based off the eighties cartoon because you had, you know, cold war going on at the time and everything else. So, um, it would have been interesting, uh, but probably a very smart move to not have picked Moscow. Although also with the cold war going on, that may have been a reason to not have picked Moscow as one of the major cities. Um, because there wouldn't have been the, um, there would have been already tensions going on and stuff like that. So, um, then we turn to the next page, uh, and we get a GI Joe PSA. And when I saw this, I cracked the hell up. I was like, Oh my God, they put a PSA in here. I'm assuming the other issues are going to have that as well, but it's like letting you know the episode has ended, even though it's to be continued. Um, and I wonder too. Would this all have happened in one episode of G.I. Joe? I almost feel like this would have been two commercial breaks. Like, not two commercial breaks. Like, the start of an episode, a commercial break, and then coming back. And usually there was two commercial breaks and then the end of the episode. So you would actually have, like, three segments. I don't know... And this is no fault of the creators or, or the team that worked on this or anything like that. But I don't know if the amount of story you got in here would have taken up a whole actual episode of the cartoon. And like I said, I'm not knocking it for that at all. I'm just, I'm trying to equate in my head, like, how much time on screen would this whole issue have taken up? It's completely different format. It's a different thing with it being a comic and everything else. So, like I said, I'm not trying to equate it directly like oh this was a fault of the issue or anything like that it's not at all they they were working within the format and i think it was brilliantly done with it being like okay the end of the issue is the end of an of a cartoon episode they said i just wanted to i was just trying to think like yeah i think it would have like you would have ended you would have put a commercial break somewhere um maybe before the the like maybe when the bat attacked the base and they realized that they couldn't stop it and you have Ace like heading towards the head of it and it's trying to swap towards them and then when you came back from the commercial break is when Ace actually takes it down like that may have been a good break commercial break but um, 
but yeah, like I said, you're, you're dealing with a comic issue here, so it's, it's a bit different. I was just, like I said, trying to figure out how that would play out. But since the, the end of the issue was kind of like the end of an episode, it, it's absolutely perfect because you have a PSA. And it's a real PSA. I thought maybe this was going to be like one of those joke ones that they've done where they've taken the original PSA cartoon and thrown like, you know, body massage in there and, uh, and like the fire one and everything else, which are hilarious. But I thought, okay, are they doing that in here? No, this is a real PSA. This is basically like if if you read it it basically it's mainframe it's like a kid reading a comic not liking what he saw and decides he's going to go online and rip everyone a new one for it and just bash people and then also his computer goes out and mainframe stand there which you know mainframe is the reason that the computer went out and he's just like hey it basically tells him like hey maybe don't be an asshole online you know, maybe don't do that. Like there's real people with real feelings on the, on the other end of that. And they put a lot of work into stuff. You know, if you didn't like it, that's fine. Just move on. Like, but you don't, you don't have to go out there and bash everyone, which is a great message for today's environment. Like this. So this comic really is an all ages comic. Cause I absolutely loved it. Anyone that's a Joe fan would love it, but I could so see this, see giving this to a kid like a kid could read this as a gi joe cart comic and have a blast with it like this is a truly an all-ages comic like i can read it and you can read it because we grew up with gi joe and the cartoon and we get so much out of it and, and this was so much fun to read but you can give this to a kid who has never read gi joe or never saw the cartoon and go here this this is like something i grew up with I think you'll like it. It's a lot of fun. It's ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. And they'll love the artwork. Um, you know, they'll they'll love the story. Like they can really get into it and be like, "This was this was GI Joe when, when I was growing up." And I think this is the type of GI Joe you would enjoy as well. And then you give them a PSA at the end of it that basically tells them, "Don't be an asshole online <laughs> to people." I love like it was just so. This issue was so perfectly done. Um, and it even says at the bottom, like when the G.I. Joe thing comes up, it says uh, written by National Child Safety Council. I don't know if that's legitimately who came up with this uh, PSA, but it's, it, I mean, like I said, it's perfectly done. It, it fits the PSAs that we grew up with in the cartoon. So, uh, but, and it has a real message also. So I'm curious if they, I assume they'll have done it in the future issues. And I'm curious to see what they come up with. Uh, then we see the cover for issue number two. And the thing I love with that is we see Quick Kick, uh, like, being airdropped towards a giant, another giant bat. And we see the dragonfly, so you know we're probably going to get Wild Bill. Um, you know, they're all attacking this giant bat. So really looking forward to that. Um, the other thing that I love that they did is they also gave us some other artwork. So you got to see the cover art. Uh, in the back here, you see um, artwork by Megan Huang, who I think, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that was the variant cover. And then you had Billy Penn artwork, uh, which may have been the um, retailer incentive cover. I'm not 100% sure on that either. The thing I love with the Billy Penn one is that it uh, they made it look like a VHS tape. So it has some of the 
imperfections, like uh, like almost looks like they put like cellophane wrapping in some of the edges and corners there. But then you have like the Be Kind Rewind sticker, which no kid today would ever understand what the hell that means. Um, then you have family and adventure stickers on there to let you know. And the one family sticker is kind of like peeling back a little bit, which is really cool. Um, but it lets you know, like, you know, when you went into a video store, they would have stickers like that on, on stuff to let you know, like, this is action adventure. This is horror and things like that. So this was family adventure. Like there was an adventure sticker and there was family sticker on there. And like I said, the family one's peeling back a little bit in the bottom left corner. You have hi-fi, uh, stereo and it says VHS. Like it's, it's done like artwork. Like you would see those VHS tapes for a GI Joe adventure. The artwork doesn't totally match what you would have seen on those VHS tapes, but it would for like, say maybe a horror one because you have this giant hand coming up, which is, I assume is like the genie hand, um, coming up with like a big claw trying to grab all the, all the Joes that are there. And you have roadblock, Scarlet, snake eyes, and Duke, uh, all there about to get grabbed by this giant green hand. Uh, although in the issue, the genie is purple. Billy Penn probably didn't know that or just went with artistic license and, and everything else. But to me, this was an absolutely perfect issue. 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5, whatever rating you want to give it, give to it. Um, as far as being the top of the top, like this comic knew exactly what it, it needed to be. It nailed it every step of the way. I know that this sold out very quickly for a lot of comic shops so if you weren't able to get it um definitely get the trade when it comes out you will not regret it if you can find the issue on the secondary market for not too bad of a price um you know on ebay or something like that i would definitely recommend getting it i don't know how much this extra stuff they'll have in the trade i assume that they'll probably put all the covers and everything else but like they said seeing the extra artwork in the in the back, having the PSAs in there, it was just this was everything I wanted in more and more when it came to um, this particular issue. I'm so excited to read issue two. I think issue three actually comes out tomorrow. I could be wrong, but um, if if it doesn't come out tomorrow, it definitely comes. I think it comes out next week. So I think issue three actually comes out next week. So yeah, get yourself, um, reading this because, uh, if you like the cartoon, you owe it to yourself to get this, uh, IDW got this one right a thousand percent. So, uh, did I praise it enough? (laughs) Anyways, you guys, uh, it's after midnight here. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up. One thing I wanted to let you guys know, uh, I know I mentioned it briefly before, but wanted to make sure I officially let everyone know uh, that I will be having my first convention appearance, uh, which will be at Fan Expo Cleveland. Uh, if you go to f- look up Fan Expo Cleveland on Google, you'll find their website. I'm listed in the comic guests, uh, so I am one of the guests that they will be having there. I'll be setting up as, as a stealth hammer table, and uh, I'm very excited. It'll be my first big, it'll be my first real comic convention. Like I did a uh, small, you know, the Neotech guys that I had on the show a little while back, they had, uh, like a toy meetup, uh, where they, you know, people go to buy and sell toys and everything else. They gave me a table there so I could set up stealth hammer since I was a local guy and people might recognize me and I'm part of the, I'm part of their group and everything. Um, 
and uh, it didn't do well there. Um, but there, there's reasons for that, and it's mainly because people are there to buy toys. People are not there to buy comics. Um, I had a few sales, and that was about it. And that's kind of what I was expecting, so I wasn't disappointed at all. Um, I actually would have been shocked and surprised if I had a lot of sales. Um, so it was a chance for me to be able to learn how to set up my table best um, so that it, you know it could look enticing to people and give people a chance to look at things and everything else. So uh, I'm very appreciative to the Neotech guys for letting me set up there, and um, they could not have been nicer about it. And the people that did stop by were super nice and, and everything else. Um, so this will be my first comic convention being set up at it and seeing what the reception's like. Uh, I'm hoping that things will go well and that sales will be done very well. Uh, thankfully, this table is not costing me anything either since I'm considered a guest there. Um, but yeah, I am super excited to be set up there and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. So uh, it is April 29th, April 30th, and May 1st. So it's at the very end of April. I will be there all three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If you're in the Cleveland area or close by, please come to the convention. Uh, get tickets as early as you can. And come to the convention. Stop by. Say hi. Um, you know, I would really appreciate seeing some friendly faces. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun. You guys know I'm pretty... For those of you that know me, you know I'm pretty outgoing. Uh, I am, as we have said many times on the show, I am exactly who you hear on this show. Uh, I know that there's a lot of podcasters out there who are have great personalities and sound very uh, extroverted and everything else. And uh, But then when you meet them, they're a bit more shy or a bit more reserved or they're just not they have a persona for the podcast that's not really who they are in real life. I am exactly who I am on this podcast in real life. So the energy, the, the I am the extrovert that you hear <laughs> um, on these episodes. So yeah, I am exactly who I appear to be on the show here is who I am in real life. Um, and I don't turn that on just for conventions or for the podcast or anything like that. Like if you ever have a chance to talk to my wife or talk to my friends that I'm close with, they'll all tell you, yeah, Ryan is like, what you hear on the show is exactly what Ryan is like in real life. So if, if this is what you would like to meet in real, in the real world, um, and have some fun talking and, and whatnot, uh, and you're in the Cleveland area or near the Cleveland area, please come to the convention. I would absolutely love to meet you and talk with you. And, uh, it, I think it could be a total blast. Um, I will, I don't have issue. I won't have issue two there. Uh, it's off to the printers to give you guys an update. Uh, it is with the printers. They did tell me with, unfortunately with supply chain delays and everything else it can take up to four months before i would get the the issues so unfortunately while we got everything done on the time frame we wanted to and we planned for you know two to three months before we get the issues we were not expecting four months before we would get the issues so um so unfortunately i won't have issue number two at the convention but um 
I will have, and for anyone that backed it, you would have gotten an update already from me, letting you know like what's going on, but also letting you know, as far as the delay goes, but also letting you know that uh, I have sent out surveys. So if you backed the project and didn't know about the surveys, I'm letting you know right now, go take your survey, because my plan is to then send you the digital copy of the comic uh, in May. So you will have a chance to at least read it earlier than we expected uh, to for you to do so. So the plan was always to send everything out in June or end of June. Um, now it's now we're looking at probably end of July, beginning of August before I, I get stuff to be able to send out. So I was like, okay, then let's move up the timetable on the digital copy. So um, so people will be able to read it. So that'll be great. But at the convention, I will have things that will be convention exclusives. So I'll have some of the stuff that I had in, in for the backers. So there'll be prints, there'll be bookmarks um, available. So the mini prints that, that a lot of people got, um, you know, when you got a physical copy last time, you got at least one print, mini print. If you got one of the packages, you got all five mini prints. Um, if you got one of the packages, you also got one of the bookmarks. If you didn't get those things, I will have those available. So those will be for sale. Um, but things that nobody got, uh, in their packages, cause we didn't have them created at the time, um, is I'll have full size prints available. So 11 by 17 size prints. Uh, and that will be of Robert's cover and of one of the pinups, which is the uh, RE riding Watts, the robot uh, chase scene where you got all the different Tokolosh goblin creatures. Uh, that just seemed perfect with Joel's artwork, uh, how much detail he put in there to have that blown up in a big size so you could really see like all those creatures. Um, because there's a lot of references in there and everything else. It's really awesome. Joel did an amazing job. So I, I did those two because I thought those would be the ones people would be most interested to have at a larger size. Um, and then I will have magnets. Um, and these are like pretty big size magnets. They're like three inches by five inches, like somewhere in, in, I think that's the size of them. So they're pretty sizable magnets and various images. I think there's about five or six different images for those. Um, so I'll have those available. I was going to have pins available for purchase, um, but the ones we got, we got them at a low price because they were offering a deal. And then when we got them, we found out that the backs tend to fall off pretty easily. So I wouldn't even feel right giving those out for free. So it was a failed experiment. I will probably have pins at some point in the future, but we've I found a pin company. Uh, it'll be a little bit more pricey, so I'm I'm kind of waiting until maybe the next convention or kind of see if there would be an interest in pins being created um, because they'll be a little pricey, um, and I want to make sure that like someone's willing to pay like five or six dollars for a pin. I don't know if they are. So, um, but we will have, uh, like I said, the magnets will be, I believe I'm going to have those at $5. And like I said, they're big size magnets. These aren't like small things and they're nice and durable. I have them hanging up on my fridge. They're awesome. Always want like the best quality. Uh, the, the large prints, uh, I'm going to have 10 for $10 or two for 15. Um, so you can, if you didn't get the first issue, you can always get the two large prints and a 
the comic for you know for twenty bucks. Um, I will have some of the um, protectors for sale also when it comes to 11 by 17. So those can be purchased as well. I'm, I'm not going to have a lot of them, but I will, I will have some so people can buy uh, those to put the prints in. So yeah, there's going to be some, some cool stuff available uh, for people to buy and uh, for them to just check out. Like you, you can come and see, I, I'll have a huge stealth hammer banner behind me. Uh, it's very cool looking and everything else. Um, and one thing I, I just want to make very clear also, like a lot of these extra things did not come from Kickstarter backer money. Um, these are things that I have paid for. My wife and I have paid for out of our own pocket, um, because we believe in what we're trying to create here very much. So like, I really am excited about what this world is that I'm creating. Uh, and I love the team I have behind me. Um, you know, Joel has been incredible coming up with like designs and everything else. And I'm going to be working very soon to get, uh, things worked out with him so that if anything ever took off, like I want to make sure he gets, uh, well compensated for those, those things. Um, because while he may not have come up with the design for a few of the main characters, because those were established before he still came up with a lot of the designs for a lot of the extra characters that have come out since. Um, and, uh, you know, him and I very much have had a, an awesome collaborative team effort in creating these things. So, um, so yeah, it, there's a lot of excitement, but like I said, I wanted to make it very clear. Like when you see, the goals that we had and what we achieved and everything else, a hundred percent of that money went into making the comics and the rewards and everything else. I can say the only thing that probably came out of that money that didn't go right back to the backers is the amount of comics we had made. So we did print a certain amount. Um, and we obviously had a lot more left over so that we could sell some, uh, afterwards. So I sold some, some to the comic shop, I can sell some at the conventions and everything else that some of the money from the Kickstarter went towards making sure we can make that many issues. That's true for every comic creator. Like if you think the comic creators that are doing Kickstarters are only having printed as many as they have backers, you're probably kidding yourself, <laughs> but I think everyone knows that. Like, so yeah, like the first time we had 500 issues made and then I had to go back and have another 500 issues made and that extra 500 issues made came right out of my pocket. Um, and then, so this time we had a thousand issues made and I still have a lot available from the second 500 issues that were made. Um, I think from the first issue we had around 600 issues that we sold. Like if you count the backers plus what we sold, it was about 600 issues that were sold, which is pretty awesome considering most of that was like outside of the Kickstarter backers was local stuff, uh, in the Ohio area. Um, and through people I knew like just social media wise and stuff like that, that wanted to buy it. Um, so I still have probably around three to 400 issues. Some of that is going towards the current, the, the latest Kickstarter backer, but then a lot of it is going to be sold at conventions and stuff like that. Uh, the thing I can tell you is, uh, if anyone out there is even remotely upset that, Oh yeah, 
my Kickstarter money went towards making a bunch of extra issues for you to sell. The thing I can tell you is that 100% of that money from selling those extra issues is going into future issues of the comic. So um, the more I can sell at conventions and everything else, the more I can reinvest into the next issue of the comic and maybe, hopefully... Um, if we do another Kickstarter or something like that, the goal hopefully maybe doesn't have to be as high or we can do more things or, you know, something like that. Right now I am not get, taking any money or getting any money from this creation. I am simply doing it as something that I love doing and want to get it out there. Yes. Eventually I want to be able to make money from it. Um, but it's right now it's about getting the story out there and getting people interested in the story. All the, any type of income from it and everything else uh, that I would actually make from it will come later for me. Um, it, as long as I get people interested in the story and that someone wants to pick it up and everything else, then then I can reap the benefit of, okay, now I can take some income from it. But as it is right now, I'm working a full-time job, I'm doing the podcast, um, and, uh, and I know I have Patreon members, uh, and I'm extremely grateful for them, but I don't have like a ton of Patreon members. So it's not like I'm making a lot of money from the podcast and a hundred percent of that money goes right into like some of the costs of doing this uh, show uh, for the website and stuff like that. But yeah, I just, it's, you know, the, right now, everything that I'm doing for the comic is for the future of the comic. So any money that I make is going right into future issues. And if you've been enjoying the issues, it, it's going to benefit you. Then I do have these extra issues to sell and everything else. So I know most people don't care, but I just, I'm just someone I like to make sure that I'm covering my basis and I'm telling, letting people know and be very transparent about, Hey, here's where your money went. Um, it went towards paying the creators. It went towards making the products and none of it went to me. And I don't say that to be all magnanimous or anything like that, but right now for me, uh, and really in the future, the goal for me is to keep telling the story and keep getting the story out there and getting people interested in it. Yes. Eventually I do want to make money from it. That would be awesome. That's the dream, right? Is to be able to become a storyteller and make a living doing that. Like that's the goal. That's the dream. Um, but to get there, you have to make sacrifices. And right now I am just, I'm, not take any income from it. So when I am at the convention, um, anything that I'm selling there, any of the money I make from there is going towards future issues and taxes because I have to claim taxes for that income. So I have to claim all of it. I'm going to have to pay some taxes. That money will come right. Tax money will come right out of any income I make. So, so yeah, it, none of it's going to line my pockets or anything like that. I am very, very much invested in continuing the story and hoping that people enjoy it. So again, if you're going to be in the area at the end of April, I would love seeing you guys. And, uh, hopefully, you know, while you're there, you find something that you like and you pick it up. Um, I am not a high pressure salesperson, so I'm not going to try to make you buy something you don't like or don't want. Uh, but I will definitely have my salesman hat on while I'm there. So, um, but yeah, like I said, it, you know, if you get there and you know, you're, you've been a listener of the podcast for however long, you know, tell me that, like I am eager to meet you. 
Um, you don't have to buy anything. I'd be appreciative if you did, but you don't have to. Um, I'm just, I'll be excited to meet people and, uh, hopefully get them interested in stealth, stealth hammer. So, um, but yeah, I think that's everything it is. I've been talking for uh, a bit of time now, so, uh, not as long as I do on my Patreon episodes as people can attest to. And just a reminder, I know I don't plug it very often, but just a reminder that you can join the Patreon for, uh, $3 a month and you will get extra episodes. Uh, I did miss getting, uh, the last couple months an episode out just for Patreon members. So that's why I'm trying to get extra episodes out. Like I said, by the time you hear this, you, a new one will have already come out and there should be another one out before the end of the month because I'll be recording some more, uh, in the next day or two. So, uh, but yeah, I think that is everything. So with that, we'll go ahead and end the episode by saying the force will be with you because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone.